Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I am doing well. Um, James, are we live on video? I don't see anything. Okay, the, the placard is still up. Um, in any case, dear ones, um, it's good to be back. And I don't see it, but I'm back at Monica's house. So you have all the... Hold on a moment. <laughs> Monica has a huge puppy. It's uh, it's it's half the size of her, and he just got loose. He's a puppy, but he's uh, he comes up to my shoulder. He's huge, and he just came over to say hello. I wish you could have seen him. Um, so, uh, James, are we a voice only, or are we on video? We are on video as well this morning, Mother. Okay, all right, that's good. I I don't see it, but good, that's good. So you see the beautiful crosses behind me again. We're in Monica's house, and we will stay here because the Internet is much better, and it's across from the Latin parish where we attend, so it's it's truly a wonderful situation. you know, I keep saying, I said yesterday we were by phone only, that um, um, uh, there's so much going on, and you can read the news as well as I, and uh, if you want to keep up to date, just go to listen to the news on Station of the Cross, and go to LifeSite News, and you'll be up to date on anything that is important. Um, we want to continue this morning um, through the Catechism Explained, and we're on the section of faith. And point seven, we ended yesterday, faith alone is not sufficient for salvation. Um, Faith alone is not. And uh, many of you know who came from a Protestant background, or maybe you didn't, um, maybe you've always been Catholic, maybe you're some other faith, that um, faith alone has never been the case. Uh, Martin Luther added the word alone to Paul's writings, um, and he said faith alone is sufficient, but it is not sufficient. It's not the word of God that it is sufficient. In the letter of James, he says faith without works is dead. And Paul wrote to the Galatians, it is faith working through love. And also to the Romans, it is the obedience of faith. Not just faith. A faith must be obeyed. Faith works. Protestantism that I was in for 18 years says that we are that faith is the fruit of faith, that rather works are the fruit of faith, and they are. Catholicism says works are the fruit of faith, but they are the necessary fruit. And I've, I've often given the example, which I think I put together for myself coming into the church to figure it all out, and that is that um, uh, if you have a son in his last year of high school and he's a, pretty much a BB-plus student, and he wants to go to a very expensive college, $100,000. I'm throwing out a figure. I have no one, no idea what the colleges cost. And his parents come and say to him, son, um, 
if you do well this last year in high school, your mom and I will give you the $100,000 for college. And in fact, let's just say the dad needed to take a second job to do that, or mom work from home or something. Um, And they said to their son, this is the condition. Uh, You need to um, obey your parents. You need to maintain a B-plus average. They know if they call him to an A, they might call him to failure because he's not quite up to it. But he, if he's diligent, he's certainly able to get a B-plus. So you must maintain a B-plus average your last year of high school. You must obey your parents. You must be home by midnight. Not Do not beat up your baby sister. Uh, clean your room on Saturdays and take the garbage out. Whatever else they Mow the lawn on Saturday afternoon. Whatever they ask of him. Now, here's the $64,000 question. If Johnny, the son, does all this, will he have earned $100,000? If you are out there and you say yes, you have no idea of anything of uh, what it takes to earn $100,000 because all Johnny's parents gave him to do is what any parent should give their child to do with no reward. That is just the proper uh, training of a child. There's nothing extra. There's no salary. There's no reward. There's no allowance. It's just what he needs to do as a child of the house. Um, But if he does all that, he will have attained to the gift of $100,000, which he's not, he hasn't earned. It's, It's a gift. It remains a gift. But if he fails to obey and do those things, he's forfeited the gift. That's what salvation is. It's free. We cannot earn it. We cannot deserve it. Christ did it on the cross. We, we can't do a thing toward our salvation. We can receive it as a gift. We can attain to it, as Paul says to the Philippians, or we can forfeit it. And so God says, here's what you need to do for heaven, for eternal life in heaven as opposed to eternal life in hell. You need to keep the Ten Commandments. You need to obey your parents. You need to worship God. You need to not steal. You need to do this. You need to do that. Yes. If you do all that, have you earned heaven? There's no way. But if you don't do that, you have forfeited heaven. It remains a gift. Salvation is a gift. And it cannot be faith alone. If it's faith alone, your faith is dead. If it doesn't work, you say, well, true faith works. It does. But it's not necessary for salvation. Oh, yes, it is. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the Catechism Explained, which again is the Catechism of Trent Explained, says faith alone is not sufficient for salvation. It must be a living faith. That is, we must add to it good works and must be ready to confess it openly. Now, many evangelicals, which I was for 18 years, add a ton of good works and confess with every breath they have. Are they working out their salvation? Yes. It is a gift. Faith is a gift. It's not of works. It's of grace. Unto good works. Um, and that's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It must be a living faith. We must add, it's not voluntary. If your faith is living, if you have great faith, you'll be working, serving the poor, evangelizing, do whatever you're doing. Yes. But what about those who don't want to do any of that? Are they saved? 
Well, they asked Jesus into their heart. This is a good thing. But they must work out their salvation, Philippians 2, 12, with fear and trembling. A living faith, the Catechism says, is one which produces works pleasing to God. And whatever we do that's not for God's glory burns up as wood, hay, and stubble. Our Lord says, not everyone who saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doth the will of my Father who is in heaven. He who has done no works of mercy will be condemned at the judgment, Matthew 25. Such a one is like the devils who believe and disobey, James chapter 2. As the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith. So faith without works is dead also, James chapter 2. Faith without works is like a tree without fruit or a lamp without oil. The foolish virgins virgins had faith, but no works. Good works such as are necessary for salvation can only be performed by one who is in possession of sanctifying grace and loves God in his heart. Hence, St. Paul says to the Corinthians, if I should have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. We must also be ready to confess our faith, Paul writes to the Romans. With the heart we believe unto justice, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Man consists of body and soul, and therefore must honor God, not only inwardly, but also outwardly. Christ promises the kingdom of heaven only to those who confess him before men. Matthew chapter 10. Now, we just began chapter 6, the motives of faith. The external motives which move us to believe are chiefly miracles in prophecy. We read this a bit yesterday. Let me see if I can go to um, uh, the second point now. Um, Miracles are such extraordinary works as cannot be performed by the mere powers of nature, but are brought about by the intervention of a higher power. An extraordinary work is one that fills us with astonishment because we have never seen or heard of anything like it and are unable to find any natural explanation of it. For example, the telegraph and the phonograph were extraordinary wonders at the time of their first invention, but their unwanted character is not sufficient to constitute these things as miracles. A miracle must also surpass all the forces of nature. Thus, raising of the dead to life is not only an extraordinary fact, but it is one that no amount of skill or knowledge will enable a man to perform. Miracles are thus exceptions to the ordinary course of nature. They appear to transgress the laws of nature, but they do not really do so. The laws of nature still hold good, but they are suspended in their action by an intervening power. There are true and false miracles. We may call a miracle, but it's false. There's the music, beloved, for our first break. We'll be right back after our first break, and we'll continue this on miracles. And then after the second break, we'll have an entire half hour to ourselves um, uh, for calls and emails and whatever is on your heart. And I'll give you that toll-free number in advance. It's one 877 511 5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We'll be right back.
Unbelievers often reject religion because it sometimes causes conflict. They'll say, science will fly you to the moon, religion will fly you into buildings. Is this a rational basis for rejecting religion? The answer is no, and here's the reason. First, just because something causes conflict doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. For example, many wars have been fought over land. Does this mean we should do away with the right to private property? I don't think so. Second, the objection doesn't specify which religions cause war. It may belong to the essence of some religions to spread its message by the sword, and these we should reject, but it doesn't belong to all religions. So to the question, should I reject religion because it causes conflict? The answer is no. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. Have you heard about life coaching? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Coaching is one of the things Jesus did with his disciples. Whenever they were stuck, overwhelmed, or even struggling a bit, Jesus asked questions that brought clarity and hope. He then used ongoing conversations that helps them to navigate the path and completely change their lives. Just like the disciples, we too can find ourselves feeling stuck, overwhelmed, and struggling a bit. Maybe you need help in your marriage or with a parenting issue. You're navigating a loss, you want to improve your health, or advance your career. At StandTallToday.com, our experienced coaches will help you to take another look at life, renew your hope, get past those challenges, and step into living abundantly. You can find out more about coaching and schedule a free introductory call by visiting us at StandTallToday.com. Listen, life is too short to stay stuck. Contact us at StandTallToday.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are live, and we are, you can see the beautiful wall behind me. We are back at Monica's house. Much better internet here, and uh, we don't have to do the program by our, our cell phone. So I'm thrilled for that. And we are reading from the Catechism Explained about miracles. And the fact, let me just see this, hold on. The fact that there are true and false miracles. And um, the former, the true miracles, are worked by the power of Almighty God. The latter, the false miracles, and of course they're not miracles, they're false, the latter appear to surpass the powers of nature, but are really the effect of the employment of the powers of nature by evil spirits, who by reason of their greater knowledge and power are able to produce results that deceive and mislead us. Miracles are divided into miracles of the first class and miracles of the second class. The former, the first class, are those which altogether surpass all the powers of nature as the raising of the dead to life. Miracles of the second class are extraordinary actions which might have been performed by the powers of nature, but not in the same way or in the same space of time as the healing of a sick man by a word or the sudden acquisition of the knowledge of a foreign language. I, that's where we left off yesterday, and I thought, oh, I would love that miracle. 
the sudden acquisition of the knowledge of a foreign language. <clears throat> the third point is that miracles are wrought by Almighty God only for his glory and especially for the confirmation of true doctrine. In fact, dear ones, most of the miracles in the first century were to confirm the apostles, um, uh, affirm them in their mission. Sometimes it is to show that a man is a true messenger sent by God. Sometimes to bear witness to the holiness of one who is dead or to his virtue or justice. God never works a miracle in confirmation of false doctrine. All important documents must bear the stamp or signature of the person sending them out. As a mark of their being genuine, God also has his stamp by which he certifies that same doctrine is from him or that some messenger is sent by him. This stamp consists in miracles. It is one that cannot be counterfeited. Our Lord himself appeals to his miracles as a proof of his divine mission. Matthew 11 and John 10. Elias did the same in 2 Kings. Miracles still continue to be worked in the Catholic Church in proof of the truth of her teaching. God also works miracles in proof of the holiness of the dead, often at their graves, as at that of Elias uh, in Kings, or for those who invoke them. Two miracles must be attested as having been worked by the intercession of a servant of God before he is beatified, and others before he's canonized. Under the Jewish covenant, the saints worked miracles chiefly during their life. Under the Christian covenant, they work the greater number after their death. God also works miracles to manifest his goodness and his justice, as when the water flowed in the desert to supply the thirsting Israelites. And when Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead, God never works miracles in proof of false doctrine, though he sometimes permits wicked men to be deceived by the false miracles worked by the devil. Thus the devil sometimes heals the sick rapidly or suddenly through his superior knowledge of the powers of nature. <clears throat> Number four, in working miracles, God usually makes use of the intervention of man, sometimes even of wicked men. Those whom God has created can only work miracles when God gives them the power. The saints always worked miracles in the name of God or of our Lord. Our Lord alone could work miracles in his own name. Bad men are sometimes employed by God as the instruments of miracles by which he establishes the truth. He said so in Matthew 7. We must not be too ready to have recourse to the hypotheses of a miracle if the facts supposed to be miraculous can be accounted for in any other way. The fifth point is that prophecies are clear and definite predictions of future events that can be known to God alone. I'll repeat that. Prophecies are clear and definite predictions of future events that can be known to God alone. Prophecy also includes a prediction of future events which depend on the free will of man, for such events can only be foreseen by God himself. <clears throat> the most thorough knowledge of material causes avails nothing. 
they are often just the opposite of what our previous knowledge would have led us to expect, such as the denial of our Lord by St. Peter, which our Lord predicted. Prophecies may be called miracles of the omniscience of God, as distinguished from the miracles of his omnipotence. Omniscience is the uh, foreknowledge, the all-knowing gift of God, as distinguished from the miracles of his omnipotence, which is his power. For prophecy requires an acquaintance with the heart of man, such as God alone possesses. The oracles, that's Isaiah 41, the oracles of the heathen correspond to the false miracles of which we have already spoken. They were mostly obscure and sometimes ambiguous, as when the oracle at Delphi told Croesus that if he crossed the river uh, with his army, he would destroy a mighty kingdom, but did not say whether that kingdom was to be his own or that of his enemies. Many predictions were given by the oracles and the heathen soothsayers, which were not true prophecies, but were guesses made from a knowledge of the laws of nature and from the laws that regulate the general course of human development. The evil spirits, through their superior knowledge, were often able to foretell events that men could not foresee, such as the approach of a storm or pestilence or the death of some individual. Six, God, for the most part, entrusts the prophesying of future events to his messengers for the confirmation of the true faith or for the benefit of men. Thus God entrusted the prophets of the Jewish covenant with the prophecy of a redeemer to come in order to confirm the belief in him, to convince those to whom he came that he was the true Messiah and those who have lived since his coming of the truth of the Christian religion. You know that, beloved? If anybody today came and claimed to be the Messiah, he would never be able to prove it because when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, all the records, genealogical records, were destroyed with it. He'd never be able to prove that he was the son of David. He sent Noah to prophesy the flood in order to lead men to do penance. Sometimes he revealed the future to wicked men as to when Balthazar... um, Uh, as when to Balthazar he foretold his coming destruction by the handwriting on the wall. Sometimes he employed wicked men as the instruments through which he foretold the future, as with Balaam in Numbers 24 and Caiaphas as being the high priest of the year in John 11. But in general, he only employed as instruments of prophecy his own faithful servants, revealing the future event either through a vision or by an angel, or through some interior illumination. Thus, the archangel Gabriel was sent to instruct Daniel during the Babylonian captivity respecting the time of the coming of the Messiah. The prophecies of the apocalypse were mostly put before St. John in the form of a vision. Such communications were given to the prophets only from time to time. None of them had a permanent knowledge of future events. Thus Samuel did not know who was to be the future king of Israel until David was actually presented to him, 1 Kings. The gift of prophecy is therefore, generally speaking, a proof that he who possesses it is a messenger from God. 
the fulfillment of the prophecy is, of course, necessary before we recognize it as a proof that he who utters it is a messenger from God. It must not contradict any revealed doctrine. Do you hear that? Um, It must not contradict any revealed doctrine or be inconsistent with the holiness of God. The things that are coming out of the Vatican today, beloved, contradict revealed doctrine and are inconsistent with the holiness of God. Make sure that they are consistent with doctrine, which no man, including the Pope himself, has any, not only has a right to change, has any power to change. The faith isn't given by men, and it's not men's to do with as they please. Just as the Mass is not a toy that a Pope or anybody else can play with, it's given by God, and no one has the position or the power to change it. It must be edifying, the prophecy. Um, It must be edifying and profitable to men, 1 Corinthians 14. It must be uttered with prudence and calmness, for it is a mark of false prophets to show no control of self. We'll go on to chapter 7. Hold on a moment. We're coming near the end, dear one. Um, And chapter 7 is on the absence and the loss of faith. We need to know this. There's so many of us, beloved, um, who have left the faith or never had the faith or whose children have left the church. This is going to be a vital, vital section for us. Faith alone. Faith alone is the road to heaven. But again, Faith without works is is no faith whatsoever. So when we say faith alone, uh, we mean a faith that works, not just faith, a faith that obeys, a faith that keeps the commandments. Faith is the road to heaven. Unhappily, there are very many who are wanderers and strangers to the Christian faith. Those who do not possess Christian faith are either heretics or infidels. And you say, well, bishops and the Pope and others changing the faith, are they heretics or infidels? I cannot answer that. But they're either heretics or infidels. Heretics are those who reject some one or more of the truths revealed by God. And to think you can change them, if it's doctrine, you think you can reject what God gave and make it something else. Heretics are those who hold to some, some of the doctrines revealed by God and reject others. Those who induce others to a false belief are called leaders of heresy or arch, um, arch, arch heretics. It is always pride that leads them away from truth. And among these arch heretics was Arius, the priest of Alexandria who denied Alexandria who denied in the 4th century the divinity of Christ and was condemned at the Council of Nicaea, AD 325. And there are others, beloved. We'll go on to this tomorrow. And um, there are many among us uh, coming from the Vatican, coming from bishops all over this country and the world who are denying the truths of God, especially moral truths. And it is... um, a great, great tra- tragedy, but I think the worse things get, the more we find out what's true and cling to our faith. So that's a good fruit of this. Um, 
We'll be right back, beloved. Call in with anything on your heart. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for February 24th. Today we celebrate Blessed Luke Baluti. Was it chance or was it the hand of God that drew Luke Baluti, a young nobleman, to listen to Anthony of Padua preaching in the town square in the year 1220? In response, Luke asked to become a Franciscan and to wear the same habit worn by Francis of Assisi and Anthony. His request was granted and Luke received the habit from Francis himself. Luke became a close friend of Anthony's and his companion in his travels and his preaching. He also tended to Anthony in his final days. In 1239, when the city of Padua had fallen into the hands of its enemies and Luke was expelled from the city, he secretly returned at night to visit the tomb of St. Anthony and pray for the late friar's help. Some accounts have it that one night, Luke heard Anthony's voice assuring him that the city would soon be delivered, and so it was. Credit for the Basilica of St. Anthony in Padua goes to Luke Baluti. At his own death around 1285, he was buried in the basilica that he had helped complete. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. It's not as scary as I thought it was. It's a much more warm and open place, and God really is about love. It's not about the rules and the things that I remember as a young child. It really is about the love that God has for each one of us that's so um, deep and wonderful. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are live. I am Mother Miriam. I'm thrilled to be with you. And you see, we're back at Monica's house with a beautiful wall of crosses behind me. I'm, I'm um, truly, truly thrilled. Um, and so, yes, call in with anything on your heart, toll-free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We have CJ on the line from Buffalo. Hello, CJ. Hi, Mother. Thank you for having me, and thank you for everything you do for us. Thank you, CJ. God bless you. Go ahead. Um, I, write, I, I have a question for you about maintaining charity in these times that we're in in the church history. Um, just to give you some context, I reverted back to the faith after getting married in 2016. Great. Uh, the, the traditional mass and the traditional practices of the faith were an enormous part of my return. Um, Blessed be God. Mm-hmm. And in 2016, at that time, my wife was not even baptized. She had no faith. Wow. Um, even though she went to a Catholic school in K-12 uh, K through 12 in New York City. Mm-hmm. So I asked her to attend the Latin Mass with me. I told her it was nothing like I've ever experienced. 
and she eventually agreed. Throughout a year or so, she would occasionally come with me just on her own will. And finally, in 2019, after the birth of our second child, she told me she wanted to be Catholic. Oh, I'm a goosebump. How beautiful is that? And she told me she wanted all the sacraments. And uh, to this day, her baptism is the greatest day of my life so far. Indeed, indeed. CJ, um, I am a goosebump. This is so beautiful. Yes, and, and after speaking more with my wife about her conversion, she did tell me that it was the old mass mm-hmm. that did it. Good. Yeah, Reverend. Uh, Heaven come to she earth. She told me, yes, she told me that all her catechism as a child came back to her. Mm-hmm. And that the old mass made sense, and it brought the things she was taught as a child to life. How beautiful. Um, so I give you that context because now that we are at where we're at and we want to exclusively raise our children in the traditions of the faith and the old mass and the old sacraments, um, obviously there are people in the hierarchy who want to destroy these practices. Yeah. And um, I believe I have righteous anger. However, I believe that sometimes this anger tests my charity. So my question to you is, how do you maintain this charity while not while also maintaining courage and not using um, just the excuse to go with it out of some type of false charity? Yeah, that's that's excellent. You your righteous anger is um, understandable and it's righteous and. Um, um, it's okay to to do that, but if it lacks charity, um, the way to hold on to that CJ is to think of Jesus on the cross. He had he displayed righteous anger during his life, overturning the money changers' tables and that. But in the, his greatest trial, trial was also the, the display of his greatest charity on the cross, and so. Uh, whatever God allows, and again, nothing, nothing happens that God has not allowed it. We know that. Nothing touches us that God has not allowed. Um, and so he would not have it uh, for us to become unchristian, for us to lose charity. Uh, he would have every single trial for our holiness to make us saints. And so we cannot be ruled by our emotions. Again, righteous anger is understandable, but if it becomes a loss of charity, now I'm not sure what you mean by a loss of charity. You can be critical. It doesn't mean you don't have charity because, uh, again, Paul speaks about the truth spoken in love. As long as you speak the truth, you don't lose charity. If you rail against others, Uh, call them names and do all that, um, then you're not acting as a a son of God, uh, but as the world. And it won't help convert them, and it won't be a witness. And what helps me, CJ, is that I, I am conscious all the time that I do not have what I have not received, um, nor does anyone else, of course. Everyone has exactly what they've received. So the grace of God, um, if I believe, it's because of God. 
if I'm grateful, it's because of God. If I'm not a heretic, if I don't, if I see truth clearly and love it, and I'm anger, angry at error, it's the grace of God. So I, I'm not going to rail against people, but I will rail against the enemy who has taken hold of them to to spew falsehood. Yes, Mother, thank you very much for that. Um, what, I guess what tangible things would you say uh, can can you share with me like what charity would look like I guess for a man like me in my state of life um, it, it when, would, when anger may yeah. overtake right um, the the anger of man is is not of God that's the first thing if anger overtakes me I'm on my own and I'm not of God that's enough to cure me CJ if I know, even if my anger's right, but if it overtakes me and I lose confidence in God, I lose trust in Him, and I'm more focused on the circumstance that makes me angry, that is pride at its deepest level. Uh, because I've let God go. I've let His sovereignty go. I've let His providence go. And I've decided that I can judge this situation on my own, and I get angry as if my anger is going to have any power over it. It's, it's, it's futile. So when I lose the sense of God, the peace of God, and I'm off on my own, pride or anger, even if I think I'm right, then God is too precious to me, and I've become my own little God in that circumstance. That's enough to scare me. So um, I don't know if that will help you at all, but um, you are to lay down, as you know, your life for your wife as Christ did the church and for your family. And you can't not do that if you lose Christ governing you. If you are filled with the Spirit, if you say, Lord, nothing touches me, nothing touches the Pope, nothing touches uh, any evil, Apart from what you allow, it doesn't make it good because you allow it, but you allow it. You allowed the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. I don't know why you allow these things, but you allow them. And so my job is to learn how to become a saint and lead my family to heaven through all of this falsehood and um, devastation. Yes, thank you very much, Mother. All right. Um, I, I may take a few minutes to read Bishop Snyder's article. It was um, um, it, it was uh, written this past December, and I think um, maybe uh, the message he gave at the Catholic Identity Conference, I'm not sure, but it's titled um, Pope's persecution of the Latin Mass is an abuse of power which must be resisted. So I think I'm going to read that little article now because you and, and some millions of others are suffering from this. Um, keep going. to your, uh, you're, you're still able to go to the traditional Mass, CJ? Oh, is he? Okay, I didn't know that he was gone. Okay, um, let me let me read this, and when we come to the break, I'll finish it on the other side of the break, because I know many of you are hurting. Um, the article says, Bishop Athanasius Snyder was described, has described Pope Francis's restrictions on the traditional Mass 
as a gross abuse of the papal office, which violate the 2,000-year tradition of the Catholic Church. His Excellency, that's Bishop Snyder, made the comments in his prepared address to participants of the Catholic Identity Conference organized by the remnant in Pittsburgh over the weekend. Well, that was in uh, November, I believe. The full recording of his talk, along with that of other speakers, can be found um, by the conference website. If you go to Remnant, um, uh, I think the remnant.com, you'll find those talks. But focusing on uh, the recent drastic uh, restrictions imposed by Pope Francis and and Cardinal Arthur Roche on the traditional mass of the church, Bishop Snyder stated that a restriction or prohibition of the traditional form of the liturgy is baseless since the Holy Spirit does not contradict himself. Referencing both Traditionis Custodis and Cardinal Roche's subsequent responsa at dubia, the response to the dubia, the questions, Bishop Snyder called the documents a gross abuse of the papal office in some of his strongest comments to date on the subject of Pope Francis's ongoing war on the traditional liturgy, Bishop Snyder warned that the church was in a fight which was being waged against the time-honored traditional rite of the Holy Mass, which all the saints, for at least a millennium, have loved. And in the case of priests and bishops, celebrated reverently and with great spiritual gain. While the last 60 years have seen much liturgical upheaval, the auxiliary bishop of Astana, which is Bishop um, Snyder, stated that Rome has no authority to portray as harmful a form of the Roman rite that has remained almost unchanged for a millennium and to order discriminatory measures against its celebration. And when I read that, I say, well, he has no right, but he's doing it anyway. That's right. Uh, Many people do what's wrong. They don't have a right to do it, but they do it anyway. Um, Out of fidelity and love for Holy Mother Church and for the honor of the apostolic see, bishops, priests, and the faithful feel obliged in our day to preserve the traditional form, the traditional form of the Holy Mass and of the sacraments. The powers that... um, The powers that be, this is quoting Bishop Snyder, quote, the powers that be hate what is holy and therefore they persecute the traditional mass. Yet our answer should not be anger. This is good for you, uh, CJ, and for others who would tend to be anger, angry. Yet our answer should not be anger and faint heartedness, but a deep sureness in the truth and inner peace and joy and trust in divine providence, end quote, from Bishop Snyder. The article goes on to say, just as the Pope cannot abolish the Apostles' Creed, uh, this is still Bishop Snyder's words, or, or at least a message, neither can he prohibit the use of the traditional Mass. And let's just say the Pope came out today or tomorrow and said, we're abolishing the Apostles' Creed, we would know that's crazy. He cannot. He doesn't have that power. He's not God. He is the guardian of the faith, not the destroyer of it. That's his position. And if he seeks to destroy it, 
well, he's a he's a he's a man out of control, but he cannot destroy what God has done. He cannot destroy the traditional mass any more than he can destroy the Apostles' Creed. Pope Francis had cited uh, Pope Pius the fifth Pope Pius the fifth liturgical regulations when promoting Traditionis Custodis, but Bishop Snyder explained how this was not comparable. Um, Pope Pius V had not declared that the liturgy, according to the Roman Missal he published in 1570, was the only lex orandi, that is, the law of prayer, of the Roman Church and the Roman Rite. You see, and the Pope Francis is trying to make the Novus Ordo the only lex orandi, the only um, um, law of prayer of the Church. It cannot be. It cannot be, beloved. There's the music for our final break. And we will be back right after the break and have about 10 minutes. We're almost at the end of this article, and I will complete it when we come back from the break. Beloved, you can call in with anything on your heart at one 511 5483 or email at mother at We'll be right back. beloved this is mother miriam many of you are familiar with mother miriam live but i wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the station of the cross such as the catholic current father robert mcteague discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m eastern you can listen anytime to the catholic current as a podcast on the iCatholic radio mobile app I'm Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth, heard weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. And by far the most transforming aspect of this experience was simply coming into the direct knowledge that God himself not only knew me by name, but had been paying attention to me as though I were the only creature he had ever created. That's The Simple Truth, weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Think about this. There are five freedoms guaranteed in the First Amendment. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom to peaceably assemble, freedom to petition the government. Which freedom can you live without? Fortunately, the First Amendment doesn't make you choose. It protects all five freedoms equally. Think first. Go to thinkfirstamendment.org to learn more. Bumper magnets are a great way to promote the gospel as proclaimed through Catholic radio. We hear all the time from new listeners who were introduced to the station through a bumper magnet. We'd be happy to send you a bumper magnet so that others can come to know our Lord. Just go to thestationofthecross.com and find our bumper magnet request button under the About tab. That's thestationofthecross.com under the About tab. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. 
I am her, I am she, and I'm live, and I'm thrilled to be with you back in Monica's house with a beautiful wall of crosses. We have 10 minutes uh, for anybody who wishes uh, to give a call in. Um, Let me just make sure that nobody is on the line before I finish this article. We do have somebody. Um, uh, Elizabeth in Corning. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Mother Miriam. Thank you so much for your program. Thank you, sweetheart. Go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to say I know that you're already reading a Bishop Schneider article, but I think a lot of us sympathize with um, CJ or empathize probably in that um, we want to resist um, and hold fast to tradition, but maybe we have some anger or feelings that we feel like, you know, how do we hold on to charity? And he said in a CIC, I believe it was 2022 interview with Michael Matt of The Remnant, he summed it up so beautifully, and he's such a charitable um, oh, yes. man of God. He said, we hold fast to, tr- to the tradition for the sake of Pope Francis' soul, so that when he goes to his, his judgment with God, after he dies, God will tell him, um, you know, my there would be much more of my wrath if all of these people had fallen away from the tradition. But because they resisted, that's that's a mercy for you um, because you, you caused much damage. And so that's what I try to think of that I'm not resisting, um, you know, because if I just start thinking about my my child or my family or other people's families i can start feeling really angry and like it's a battle against pope francis so it was it just totally changed my perspective that this is this is more like a battle for pope francis soul and increasing god's mercy for him by us holding fast to the tradition so that's all i wanted to say well i tell you elizabeth your call is an absolute gem for me for cj and for everybody listening bishop snyder is indeed um, a gem, a saint on earth, absolutely. Elizabeth, God bless you, and thank you for your call so much. Um, thank you, honey. All right, now I need, hold on. Uh-oh. I think, hold on now. I did lose the article. How did I do that? I did lose the article. Um... Hold on, let me see if I can get it back and I'll finish reading it for you. Um, I think I can. Boy, I need to get a little more techie than I am. Okay, Uh, here it is. I got it back. Let me just get to where we were. Okay. Um, Okay, just a moment now. Um... One that could not suddenly create a new right. Okay, uh, here it is. Um, Bishop Snyder continues saying, Now declaring the reform of Pope Paul VI as the sole unique expression of the Lex Orande, the law of prayer, of the Roman rite, as Pope Francis is doing, the Pope Paul VI, that's the Novus Ordo, as the sole expression of the law of prayer of the Church, as Pope Francis is doing, violates the 2,000-year-old tradition of all the Roman pontiffs who've never shown such a rigid intolerance. Bishop Snyder is now using the Pope Francis's own word. It is a rigidity uh, employing... Um, 
um, to to uh, use Pope Francis. Pope Francis is being rigid, which he criticizes criticizes traditional Catholic uh, litur- liturgists, liturgy uh, goers, of being rigid. But it is a rigidity, continued the bishop, employing one of Francis's words often used in his campaign against the ancient, ancient liturgy. Indeed, Bishop Snyder rejected Francis's claims in Traditionis Custodis, saying that one cannot suddenly create a new rite, as Paul VI has done, and declaring it, it is the exclusive voice of the Holy Spirit in our time, and at the same time portraying the previous rite, which was almost unchanged in the span of at least a thousand years, as deficient and harmful to the spiritual life of the faithful. Such argumentation inevitably, Bishop Snyder says, inevitably leads to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit um, is contradicting himself, which would be impossible, Bishop Snyder says. Um, Bishop Snyder, one of the most prominently known bishops, this is a LifeSite News article, one of the most prominently known bishops to publicly celebrate the ancient liturgy, explained to the conference that it contained and radiated eminent doctrinal integrity and ritual sublimity. Furthermore, he suggested that opponents of the Mass were concerned about such aspects, the splendor of truth, sacredness and supernaturality of the traditional rite of the Mass worries those clerics in high church positions in the Vatican and others who have embraced a new revolutionary theological stance which is closer to the Protestant view of the Eucharist and of worship and which is characterized by anthropocentrism and naturalism. The Novus Ordo of Paul VI, without doubt, he said, weakens the doctrinal clarity about the sacrificial character of the Mass and weakens considerably the character of sacredness and of the mystery of the worship itself. Paul VI's new Mass was an act of true revolution, said Bishop Snyder, noting that he was the first pope Bishop Paul VI, the first pope in 2,000 years who dared to make a revolution of the order of mass was a true revolution. Bishop Snyder, who himself faced great trials as a child in order to practice the Catholic faith, warned that the traditional liturgy could soon become consigned to the catacombs in order to pass the traditional liturgy on through the generations. CJ, if that happens, I'll meet you at the catacombs. Bishop Snyder said, such a great liturgical treasure of the church as the traditional form of the mass represents cannot simply be destroyed. This liturgical treasure, Bishop Snyder speaking, this liturgical treasure is the property of the church, not the property of any particular pope. The current persecution, continuing with Bishop Snyder's remarks, the current persecution against a rite, R-I-T-E, which the Roman Church jealously and unchangingly guarded during at least one millennium, that's a thousand years, therefore, uh, long before the Council of Trent, resembles how an analog situation of the persecution of the integrity of the Catholic faith during the Arian crisis of the fourth century those 
who at that time kept unchangingly the Catholic faith during the Arian crisis when just about all the bishops uh, defected. Those who at that time kept unchangingly the Catholic faith were banned by the vast majority of the bishops from the churches, and they were first to celebrate a kind of clandestine mass. Bishop Snyder also quoted extensively from the letters of St. Basil the Great, drawing a comparison between the hierarchy of the saints' time and the current era, noting that today clerics and bishops who promote impiety are promoted. If they promote impiety, they're promoted. I'm looking myself, beloved, at the bishops who Pope Francis is putting in charge of dicasteries and, and other things, and they are They're fallen. They're promoting impiety, so-called same-sex marriage or same-sex unions or LGBTQ or gender ideology. This is heresy, and they are leading souls to hell, and they will continue leading souls in hell if they don't repent. Um, The doctrines of true religion are overthrown in that case. The laws of the church are in confusion. The ambition of men who have no fear of God, rushes into high posts and exalted office, is now publicly known as the prize of impiety. It's insane, beloved. Hold fast to Christ. Hold fast to the truth and let nothing rob you of it or the peace of Christ in your heart. We'll speak with you on Monday. God bless you.